last weekend we went on a church camping trip. We've been doing it for, I don't know, six years or so. And so I brought my tents with me. Yes, I, I, I know we went camping last weekend. It's not this weekend. But I have uh, two of our tents with us. I guess we, we only have two. But I have a little joke for you. Why did the RV leave his friends at the campsite? They were too tense. I came with that on my own. Pretty proud of it. <laughs> well, we camped as a church, so we set up the tents, we hang out, we eat food, we uh, had a worship service out there, we sang around the fire and had s'mores, and we'd go on hikes and relaxed. But then the weekend eventually comes to an end, and it's time to pack up and to gather everything together. And then there comes that moment where it, it feels like I'm trying to put on one of Katie's shirts. This would be what I'd have to put on. Do you think this would fit me? <laughs> Not well. I mean, maybe you'd like it to see it. Or what, trying to put on a shirt from uh, middle school where it looks like we're maybe like wrestling an alligator. And what I'm talking about is when you try to get that tent back into that bag that it supposedly fitted at one point, right? So this is our, the, my tent from high school that I still have. And this is what the bag looks like. Can't zip it anymore. Just got some bungee straps holding it in. But, you know, you got to push and shove. And this is the, we have a huge one now. It's like a blackout tent to fit kids and a blow-up mattress. We kind of go in luxury. But it's humongous. And look, the, somehow they had it together with this all being zipped up. And then we all have that little moment when you got to, like, you're, like, laying on top of it and wrestling it and shoving it in. And then afterwards, I shouldn't need a shower and a nap after <laughs> getting my tent back in its bag. And we just stuff and stuff and stuff it. And, you know, we... Why do they give us a bag that's for a tent half the size as the one we bought? And somehow, you know, they had their machines, they stuffed it in there. But then we try to get it in there, and it takes uh, a lot of effort. But it's actually how we often look, what we look like as we live our lives a lot of times, is that we have our time, the amount of time God's given us, and we keep trying to, you know, kind of cram more things in there. Like, if I just do this, and somebody, somebody come over here and help me and push here while I do the zipper... And we, like, take our, our weeks, the time that God gives us, we have this bag that everything's supposed to fit in, and then every week and every year, we're trying to cram more into that bag than it seems like should actually be able to fit in that bag. And the result is that we are often uh, tired, and we, if people ask, how are you? We say, you know, busy, or tired, or it's been a long week. And often it's because we just are trying to cram too much in to every day, to every week, to every month, then actually can fit inside of it. And is this how it's meant to be? Is our response to how's it going or how, how are you supposed to be busy or tired? Is that how it's supposed to be? And today we're, this is just kind of a standalone message. Um, and the reason we're going to be doing this message is because this summer, actually next weekend is my last weekend here for eight weeks. Um, because Katie and I will be uh, taking something called a sabbatical, uh, which we've been here for eight years and often practiced in churches as giving pastors a time uh, of extended, it's not vacation, but an extended time of, uh, you're not ministering to, but you have an opportunity to be to receive being ministered to because it's kind of, you know, we pastors pour out a lot, but then who's pastoring the pastors and who's speaking to the pastors? So it'll be eight weeks that we'll be gone, uh, and then we'll return back, I think, August, 13th. Um, so I'll preach next Sunday and then we'll be gone for eight weeks. But I wanted to prepare us for this and prepare myself and just share in some ways like the word sabbatical. You might know that from maybe teachers 
or a professor is taking a sabbatical or something. Um, but it comes from the word Sabbath, uh, Sabbath, sabbatical. And the word Sabbath is really a Hebrew word that's been transliterated into English from uh, the Old Testament. So today we're going to look at Sabbath. Where does this idea of sabbatical come from, that a pastor or other people would take a time to stop and rest and not be uh, having output, but be more getting input instead of giving out their receiving. And our theme for this year is joy. And we just finished this series called The Joy of Being Loved. It was six weeks where we were talking about we are made for the joy of being loved by God. And a question as connected to joy is what if our tendency to overschedule and overdo it is one of the reasons that we lack joy? Of our trying to cram too much in that that's actually why we might lack joy is not because we're missing something, but it's because we're actually trying to do too much. And what if a more meaningful, fulfilling life doesn't mean doing more, but doing less? And God gave us a container in which to fit our lives. You know, we all have the same amount of hours in a day, 24 hours, we have the same amount of hours in a week, and, but we're so often trying to stuff more into that container that can actually fit in it, or that can fit in it for us to maintain a healthy pace of life. And we're just going to go kind of, uh, an overview of the Sabbath in the Bible. And what I want you to be asking yourself during it is, uh, as we talk about it, is in what ways do you feel drawn toward what we're talking about? And in what ways do you f- resist what we're talking about? So we're going to be talking about Sabbath, which the basics of it is 24 hours a week, one day a week in seven, where you are stopping and resting and not working on things, not producing. And so as we go through this, consider in what ways do you feel drawn toward it? In what ways do you feel discomfort or resistance as we talk about it? And some, often when we're feeling both those things at once is a good indicator that actually that's something God's calling us into. And we often talk about, you know, like, do I feel peace? And usually that can mean I don't feel any discomfort about it or resistance. But that's not always true, the case. Often it's, there's a sense of discomfort and resistance, something we need to die to, and also a sense of I'm drawn toward it, that this is going to give me life. I'm dying so that I can have new life in God. So first, we're just going to cover some Sabbath basics. The question is, what is it? Um, And I already mentioned it's six days of the week you're supposed to work, and the seventh day is supposed to be set aside for rest. And we might ask, okay, well, where did that come from? Where did that practice come from? Well, I'll give you a few passages. Uh, We're going to first just look very briefly at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to three. This is on page two if you're using one of the black Bibles uh, back there. And the context here is that God creates the world uh, in six days, whether you see that as actual six 24-hour days or more of like a poetic literary device. You know, I don't mind either way. Uh, but he creates the earth in six days. And then verse two says, or let's do verse one, chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work and that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so we're told God creates. He spends six days. You kind of break it up. The first three days he forms the universe, and the second three days he fills it. So he forms it, then he fills it with creatures and living things and people. And the seventh day we're told God rests. And it's not that God is tuckered out, like, woo, just got to go sit on the couch for a bit and kind of veg. No, uh, he finished the work, and now you stand back, and he delights in it. He says it's good, and now we're supposed to enter into that rest of God has created this thing for us, and now we get to enjoy it uh, with him as he enjoys it. 
And he, what we're told is on the seventh day, he rested. And then that day, he blessed and he made it holy. Why? Uh, because on the seventh day, he had rested from his work. So he blesses it, which means uh, God is kind of giving it this special significance. And he sets it apart. It's supposed to be a day set apart that isn't like the other six days. He makes it holy. And then we go forward a little bit into the Ten Commandments. Um, that we had read before. This would be on page 61 of the Black Bibles or Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 or page 61 of the Black Bibles. And this is, you know, whenever God created the world and then fast forward all the way to when he brings the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And then he, he's not just, I'm going to free you from something, but I'm going to free you for something. And what you're freed for is to worship me. And so the whole goal is we're going to go to this mountain to worship God, Mount Sinai. And so they come to this mountain and God declares, this is who I am. I brought you out of the land of slavery. You're my people now. If you will now, he kind of makes vows like a marriage ceremony. I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm vowing to you. And this is what I want you to vow back to me, which is the Ten Commandments. And then right, uh, the fourth commandment, we see in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, 8, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And so we see it repeated. It's the only command that says remember, uh, which can tell us, well, this is uh, a day you can easily forget. But also, it's, we'll remember way back when, when the earth was created, remember the Sabbath day. I blessed it, I made it holy, I rested, and now I want you to remember that as well. And so you six days, I made everything, rest on the seventh, and so he blesses it. So you see this principle throughout Scripture, not just on a weekly basis, but in years, uh, the people of Israel, they have this cycle. Every six years, there's certain things that happen. On the seventh year, some special things happen. And then uh, you go do that seven times. You know, so for 49 years, stuff happens. And then on the 49th year, so it's like things, this one in seven type principle is that there's things that happen that bring rest to the people and to the land. And this is something that made them distinct, the people of Israel, distinct from everyone else. What? You don't work every day? Like this day you just stop and you're not doing stuff, you're not tending your crops, your animals, you even let your servants off the hook? <laughs> Why do they deserve this rest? You know, everybody in the land rests. It made them distinct, shining his lights in the dark world, showing what, this is the kind of God we worship, a God who made the world and then gave it to us to enjoy it. Well, men ask, well, how is it practiced in the, in, you know, in practical terms? In the Sabbath, it was celebrated from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, and before sundown on Friday came, uh, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, would do all their preparations. You do all your meal prep, get all the things you need to get done, because sundown on Friday, we're done working. So they worked very hard on Friday. And it was a core part of Israelite religion and life. Everyone practiced the Sabbath. It's just assumed, like, this is what makes you God's people. And I just want to turn to one example of, of how it was applied. So if you flip back just a couple of pages from Exodus chapter 20 to Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. There's not much to read here, just a couple verses. But basically the people of Israel walking through the wilderness, and they're like, this, it would have been better to stay in Egypt. Uh, you freed us from Egypt, but now we don't have any food. At least back there we had meat and stuff to eat and cucumber and whatever. And then God's like, okay, fine, I'm going to give you food. And he gives them this bread from heaven, it's called, um, which is called manna in the 
the Hebrew language because they literally were like, the man, the, the word means, what is it? <laughs> and it was this bread that they hadn't seen elsewhere that is on the ground in the morning when they wake up and they just call it manna. So they're like, what is it? We don't know what this is, but it came from heaven. And then God tells them, every day you, you have to pick up only bread for that day. You can't pick up bread for the whole week. It's just each day you have to trust that the next day I'm going to send it again. And that's our tendency, right? Is that we are like, well, I need to save up just in case. And he says, no, no. That's why the verse, if you've heard the verse, um, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Lord, that they had to trust. It's not this bread feeding you. I'm feeding you. And you need to trust and that I'm going to be faithful to what I've said to do. You're going to live on my word, not on this bread. So each day. But then on the sixth day, they were told, collect two times as much because you need it for the sixth day and you need it for tomorrow on the Sabbath because you're not going to work tomorrow. And so on the sixth day, they collected double so they'd have food for the sixth day and then they have food for the seventh day. And God just said, you need to trust me. You have to trust that everything's going to be okay. I'm going to provide for you. And Jesus practiced the Sabbath, but he also got into lots of debates about the Sabbath. It's one of the key things that he got in trouble about was his views of the Sabbath. And he was criticized for what he did on the Sabbath and what he allowed his disciples to do. And so turning to the New Testament, we're just going to look, I want to ask you, what ruins the Sabbath? Uh, so we've talked about, here's this principle of what it's supposed to be like, but there's ways that it can be ruined. And so I want to give you five things that the Sabbath is not. These are going to be quick. And these all, they're coming from Jesus or from elsewhere in the New Testament. The first is, uh, the Sabbath is not our master. The Sabbath is not our master. And so Jesus, he gets in this debate uh, in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. And these religious teachers of the day see Jesus' disciples picking grain as they walk through the grain fields. And then they say, you can't be doing that. That's harvesting. If you're picking grain off stuff, that's harvesting. That's work. You can't do that on the Sabbath. And then Jesus talks to him a bit, and he eventually says, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And that little principle that we were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. In other words, the Sabbath is not our master that we have to serve, but that we were made for the Sabbath, to serve it, to keep it. That's not the case, that God made it for us. The Sabbath was made for us. And so the Sabbath is not our master. We were not made to keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made to keep us. It's something that God gave us as a gift that we get to do. Secondly, the Sabbath is not a prohibition against doing good. It's not a prohibition against doing good. And this is, we see this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, and other places, page 816 of the Bibles, um, if you're in one of the black Bibles. So the Sabbath is not a prohibition against doing good. And as usually was the case, Jesus got into a debate with the religious leaders saying, like, hey, you can't do that. And this is actually the same plucking grain, you know, considered harvesting, that it's a little bit of an expanded debate. Um, and he says, haven't you read what David and his men did when they entered the, 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 uh, the, the tabernacle, it's called, where God's presence was? There's bread in there that only the priest could eat, but the priest let David eat it. And then he's saying, like, look, so there's instances where there's something set apart only for certain people or for certain things. And he says, but there's instances where that can be broken, that David and the men he was with were hungry and they needed food. So this was a thing of necessity that, you know, I've said the example before, like we, we used to do communion with um, a, an actual loaf of bread. 
But it'd be like if somebody came in here and was like, I'm starving of hunger, I'm dying, do you have any food? And we're like, well, don't mind that food back there uh, on that table. But if we're like, well, the only thing we have is this bread for communion, but sorry, uh, I guess you're just going to have to starve to death because we can't do anything with that besides communion. No, he's saying, look, if somebody's starving, like even if it's set aside for a special purpose, out of necessity you can use it for something else. So uh, what's allowed on the Sabbath? Works of necessity. His disciples were hungry. They're picking grain. Also, uh, works of ministry, because a little while later, Jesus says, uh, well, also, look at this. The priests on Sabbath are working. They're ministering to all you people while on Sabbath, while you, and you're enjoying it. And he says, so look, they're profaning the Sabbath every week. They're working on the Sabbath. But then Jesus is like, but no, the case is, uh, or the, the truth is that works of ministry are also uh, allowed on the Sabbath. So that could be things like what I'm doing here, or somebody serving in kids' ministry. So those could be works of ministry allowed on the Sabbath. And lastly, he says, well, what if one of you has uh, an animal that falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Are you just going to be like, sorry, animal, like, I'm just going to let you die down there, can't work on the Sabbath, uh, leave you in there. Um, he's like, no, you're going to pull the animal out. And so what happens on the Sabbath is you can do good. So the Sabbath is not a prohibition against doing good. You can do certain works, works of necessity to feed or uh, help somebody and works of ministry to serve other people. And so he's like, Sabbath isn't a prohibition against doing good. And then jumping forward out of the Gospels of Jesus' life to uh, Colossians 2:16 to 17, um, we're told the Sabbath is not more important than Jesus. Paul, in that whole letter, Apostle Paul's writing about Jesus to a church that's kind of gotten uh, some weird beliefs and weird practices in there. And he's saying, look, some of you are, people are giving you a hard time about keeping certain days special, such as the Sabbath. And he says, look, the Sabbath isn't more important than Jesus, that the Sabbath is a shadow, and Jesus is the substance of what it was pointing to. So he's saying, like, the biggest thing here is that Jesus is the most important thing. He's at the center. And so the Sabbath is not more important than Jesus. So if it's ever, you know, competing, it's always Jesus, because Jesus taught the entire Old Testament, including the Sabbath, points to him. Fourthly, the Sabbath is not something to fight over or judge one another about. Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking to them, to this church there, Apostle Paul, a guy who's a follower of Jesus, is talking to them there, and he's saying, like, you guys, don't be fighting about one day being more holy or more special than another, and don't judge another person because of whether they practice it or not. No, this isn't supposed to create divisions among you. Look, one, it's not something to fight about or judge one another over. And it seems that people were saying something like, well, real Christians do this, or serious Christians do this, they practice the Sabbath. And he's like, no, 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 this isn't something to judge one another over. Lastly, the Sabbath is not a way to be right with God. Galatians 2.16 doesn't explicitly say the word Sabbath, but it says, no one is made right with God by keeping God's laws, because no one can do it. And so keeping the Sabbath from the Old Testament is not a way to say, oh good, now God loves me. Okay, oh good, now God forgives me. Okay, oh good, now I'm saved because I kept this law. No, the, the Sabbath is not a way to be right with God. Well, then we might ask, well, what is the Sabbath meant to be? And the Sabbath, we've already seen, the Sabbath is a gift from our Creator. First, the Sabbath is a gift from our Creator to enjoy life and creation saw this in the Ten Commandments, that we are made in the image and likeness of a God who works and then rests. 
And so if we're made in the image of this God, that we're supposed to be like him, reflect what he's like, then we ought to have a rhythm of life that is working and resting. So it's a gift from our creator. Secondly, the Sabbath is a gift from our redeemer. Sabbath is a gift from our redeemer to enjoy our freedom. And that, that word redeem, it means yeah, to set someone free. It's a slave uh, trade word that it's like, well, if you have a slave, you redeem them by paying the ransom price to set them free. And it's interesting that Moses, he's the person who writes the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel and delivers it to them. And then however many years later, I'd have to look back at the years, but when he's about to die, he basically kind of rehashes it all in, the, in Deuteronomy. The word actually means second law. Uh, in the, I think it's um, Latin is where that word comes from. And it's like, okay, so he gave the Ten Commandments and told them how to live, and he's about to die, so he's like, here's my final sermon, Deuteronomy. Before you guys go into the land of Israel and God gives it to you, let me give you my final sermon. And he goes over the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But it's interesting, when he goes through the Sabbath, says all the same stuff, don't work, don't do this, but then his reason for keeping the Sabbath isn't because God made the earth in six days and then rested. He doesn't go back to creation he goes back to redemption. So let me just read uh, Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse, I need verse uh, 15. He says, You shall remember, so this is, he says, Keep the Sabbath, and then why should you do it? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So you were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> You're getting worked hard. You worked every single day. Somebody forcing you to. And I want you to remember, I've taken you out of that. I've taken you out to live life how it's meant to be, how I want to tell, how I say it's meant to be. So remember, I've redeemed you. Don't act like you're a slave anymore. You get to rest one day of the week. And thirdly, the Sabbath is a sign and symbol of the ultimate Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a sign and symbol of the ultimate Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, talking about, uh, look, there's, it's not just like this one day a week thing, and that's the, all the Sabbath is. It's talking about, no, God at the end of time wants to bring his people into a place of rest where we're out of, we're getting to enjoy him and, and creation as it's meant to be. And so Sabbath is a foretaste and a preview of the ultimate Sabbath rest of what God wants us to live like in his presence. And so that's all about what the Sabbath is. But Jesus, he cared a lot about rest. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's on page 816 of the Black Bibles. And Jesus gives this invitation about rest to his disciples listening to them. And interestingly, what comes uh, right after this is what we read earlier about Jesus talking with the, the religious leaders who are saying like, Look, your disciples are messing up the Sabbath. And he's like, no, 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 let me tell you what the Sabbath is about. But right before that, he talks about rest, coming to him to find rest. So let me read these words, and maybe these are an invitation that you need to hear this morning. And I shouldn't even say maybe. I think all of us need to hear this invitation this morning, because just like the Israelites, we're, there's always going to be another Pharaoh, another something in this world, another person or whatever it is, or in our own hearts that's going to, we want to go back to slavery. We want to go back to working to prove ourselves, to survive in life without trusting God. And so there's always going to be something taking us out of rest. So Matthew 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We saw in those other passages that Jesus says, He is Lord of the Sabbath. You could say Jesus is Lord of you know, rest, you could say, from this invitation. Lord of the Sabbath means he's the, both the authoritative interpreter of it. I'm going to tell you what it actually means, um, what it always meant, and how God meant it to mean. But he's also the one who fulfills it. That Jesus, when he came uh, on earth, wasn't saying, you know, we can tend to get in this mistake or this mode of like, well, the Old Testament, that's where all those weird rules and rituals were. And then Jesus came and he did away with that. And now it's all about relationship, not that weird stuff that they did in the Old Testament. Sabbath and blah, blah, sacrifices. Like, all that stuff was weird and they were trying to earn God's love. But now Jesus made it all better. He took all that away. Um, that's a mistake to think of it that way. To think that God would, with a nation, say to them, you need to earn my love and I'm going to make you try to earn it for you know 1,500 years before... I bring someone else along and say, you know, that wasn't how it's supposed to be, actually. Um, actually, I just want to give you my love. Like That seems like a pretty bad way for God to uh, deal with his people, that he says he loves and that he brought out of slavery. And so we can tend to think, thank God Jesus came to get rid of all those yucky rules and rituals in the Old Testament. But the reality is those rituals and rules were God's idea. And they weren't God's idea for making ourselves right with him, but they were like, you know, if we... Um, if, I don't know, maybe some of you in your house have some one of those little signs that has like, you know, in this house we say thank you, we say please, and, and stuff like that. We share. It's like God is saying like, okay, now that you're part of my family, let me put up this little placard of like, this is what we do in this family. Like, I've brought you into it, and now let me teach you how it works in this family. And the truth is that every relationship has rules and rituals. And Jesus, he has a problem with rules and rituals when they get separated from relationship. And they become something that don't bring you to God and his love and his mercy. And Jesus said, uh, I haven't come to abolish all that stuff. I've come to fulfill it. That it was pointed to something beyond itself. And he tells, teaches his disciples, like, look, all the law, all the Psalms, all the prophets, everything in the Old Testament, that's all pointing to me. It's a story that leads to me. And so Jesus says the Sabbath was not made, you weren't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for you. So that means it's not a have to, but a get to. It's something that we get to do. It's an invitation. And I, I think it's so helpful when we read God's laws or commands or rules and they strike us as like, oh, I don't want those on me. Like, what's God trying to do? Take my fun? But what we should see them as is that God doesn't want more from us, but he wants more for us. That God doesn't need anything from us. He's got everything he needs. Um, why would he ask us to do things? Like, keep this Sabbath so I can feel good about myself. You know, like, you know, so I can get really frustrated when it's like, I want my kids to listen. And I just, and my words have no power to make them listen or do what I want them to do. Like, I'm telling you to do this and you're not doing it. Is that what God's like? I gave you the Sabbath and I need you to listen to it so I can feel like I'm a good, you know, whatever, parent or creator or God. No, God wants more for us. He doesn't need stuff from us. And so he gives us the Sabbath as an invitation inviting us into life as it's meant to be, to rest in who he is and what he's done. And Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I actually think you could 
kind of complete that, who are weary, who are, who are tired of trying to be God, basically. Like, we try to be God in our lives. And that's what, I mean, Genesis 2, we saw God establishes the Sabbath. In Genesis 3, we see how humanity turned away from God. And the temptation was, you can be like God without God. You don't need him. He's holding on to him. He just wants stuff from you. He doesn't, he's not for you. He's against you. Like, you can be like him without him. Just leave him aside. And Jesus says, it is rest for our souls to come to him. And we sometimes may think of it like, well, God wants us to rest, and we take that as, like, physical rest, which is definitely part of it. But he says, rest for your souls, a deep inner rest that it's like, I don't need to be God. I didn't create this world. I don't make it run. I didn't redeem myself. I don't need to get myself out of the things that I'm stuck in. It's rest for our souls to stop trying to be God, to accept that we're limited and fragile and dependent is how we were made. And so we did this joy sermon series uh, as we think about making this personal. We did this joy sermon series over six weeks. um, And Sabbath is really a way to pursue joy. And practice all that we talked about in that sermon series. Just let me review a few of the titles. Um, we talked about God actually likes you. And the question on the Sabbath is, if I stop all the stuff I'm doing, all the working, all the producing, all the helping people, if I stop that day, will God like me? Does God actually like you when you're doing nothing? When you're not producing anything? When you're not serving or doing ministry or working? When you're, quote, making something of yourself? Does God still like you? And Sabbath gives us an opportunity to receive the gifts God gives us, to slow down and appreciate life, the things that we've seen throughout the week. It also gives us an opportunity to not settle for less. Because if you stop, I guarantee, if you put aside 24 hours, you will see the things, the idols come out that you've been trusting in, the false gods you've been trusting in. And it's like, but if I stop, what's that going to mean for me in my life? What are people going to think of me? If I tell them I'm not doing anything today, what? I do anything today. We're all supposed to be busy and tired. What are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you working? It's like that. We find the things we put our trust in. It also gives you a chance to let others in, to have space to feel in God's presence. That while we were busy, 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 busy doing things, and all of a sudden this 24 hours, and all of a sudden some of those feelings that were kind of pushed down in our busyness and production come out, and now it's like, I'm going to let God into this, let others into it. And also allows us to heal from the past we can take time to reflect on it and ask, why are some things so hard for me? So just a little story. Around five years ago, Katie and I started practicing Sabbath. And we had to try a a lot (laughs) of different things. Um, We've moved the timing around. We had to learn to embrace it as a gift um, of like, is this really helpful to us that we have so much to do and we're just not going to do it for these 24 hours, just going to stop doing it? Um, we had to learn how to repair, uh, prepare for it um, in knowing what feels like work to us. Like sometimes we come up with a, a conversation with start and we'd have to be like, that feels like work to me. So we don't talk about church things. We tend not to talk about like parenting things, just try to enjoy each other, enjoy our kids. And so what feels like work um, and what, what to do on it, what not to do on it. And we used to do it Friday after dinner through the end of the day Saturday um, and we had challenges of like, well, we have to say no to things. Um, and that's something that we all have a hard time with. Like, no, I'm not going to check that email, or no, I'm not going to respond to this request because, you know, you'll have to ask me again on Monday, um, or I'll get to it Monday, I can't do it right now. Um, it helps us to see what is really essential to get done and feel okay that 
we don't have to get that done. It's like, we, we all have a list, right, that we're never going to get done with, ever. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you figure out a way to have nothing on your to-do list, please, like, talk to me after <laughs> service. But my to-do list is always growing. You know, it's always like, what the heck? I just got that down to three, and how to get up to 30 again? And it's like, that's never going to end. And so it's like, okay, what's essential? What do we actually need to do today uh, so that tomorrow we can stop and not do it? And also, it takes trusting God and realizing, you know, God doesn't need me to run his kingdom, to run the universe, to make this church be okay, to make that person be okay, but he doesn't need me for all that. And right now what we're trying is uh, um, dinner on Saturday. We begin. Um, we used to do it Friday to Saturday, but then we were discovering, I'm just, this isn't to toot my own horn, it's just kind of, because I want to give an invitation uh, or a challenge for you for the summer of just try it. So I'm just giving you some particulars of how we've done it. Recently, we switched it to Saturday, uh, like on dinner time, 5, 5.30, until dinner on Sunday, so around 7 p.m. Um, it's a little longer than 24 hours, but um, that's because, you know, I do this for three hours, which, Jesus says, works of ministry, okay on the Sabbath. But um, we just discovered, like, well, we need to get our chores done Friday, and then we're having Sabbath on Saturday, and then after service on Sunday, we're supposed to do more chores, but I was kind of, like, you know, wiped. And so we're trying to be like, okay, chores Friday, Saturday, and then Saturday all the way to Sunday night is like we're resting. And so this morning, I didn't have my sermon to work on. It's all printed. I just show up, and that takes a lot of stress. I know you won't have that situation probably. but um, So around 3 p.m. on Saturday, we don't start any new tasks. We're doing chores. We tell Hudson it's chores, uh, and then we just... Uh, around 3 p.m. we stop. We don't start new things like, oh, I gotta, uh, you know, I gotta go plant some new seeds. You know, at 3:30. No, no, no. 3:30, 3, 3 o'clock we start wrapping things up because 5, 5:30 is when Sabbath begins. And so it's like, hey, we need to get the dishes washed, prep any food we need for tonight or tomorrow. I need to get things printed for today if I need it. And it's like we, because at 5:30 p.m. we don't want things to linger into it. And so then uh, some things we found helpful is limiting our phone usage or watching TV. A lot of times I'll take my phone and put it in a drawer on Do Not Disturb. Um, we have like three moments, you know, after the kids are in bed Saturday night when they do their rest time Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening are three opportunities where we could watch TV. And we try to do like only one of those if we're going to watch something during. Uh, we also try to ask, well, what do you want to do today? Ask Hudson, what do you want to do today? Each of us kind of do something we want to do. Uh, and it's like, I'd like to take a walk or, you know, do this. And I just want to say, you might be thinking, like, 24 hours, that doesn't work for me. Like, but I work, you know, I rest in the evening. I work till 4 and I rest in the evening. Let me just say 24 hours set aside, as opposed to rest interspersed throughout the week, is much, much different. It's both more fulfilling and more challenging uh, to have 24 hours where you're not producing and doing things. And it's also more powerful done together as a community so I just want to give an invitation to you to try Sabbath as an experiment for the summer. I say experiment because I might be thinking, like, I can't do this for the summer. I'm like, well, that's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> you know, try it for the next two months. And just try it as an experiment. And I want to suggest um, making it the same time as ours. We kind of were trying to figure out, like, how could we do this as a community? We are reading this book, and I talked about the Jewish people did it in a community. It's way more fun in community because it's like, we know everyone's free during this time. If we wanted to hang out or do this, like, oh, you know, these people do yard work on, you know, Sundays, so I guess we can't hang out with them. You know, if we're all, that same 24 hours, we're all doing it, it's like we're all stopping our work, we're all resting, and we're just delighting in 
God in creation, in what God's given us, in relationships. So I want to just suggest to you, choose 24 hours, consider Saturday evening to Sunday evening, and then pay attention to how it challenges you, how you resist it, and what makes it hard. Because I guarantee there will be things that come up because you're going to think, we got to get that done. I can't stop. I know Sabbath is the beginning, but we got to get that done. So, okay, we'll start it next week. Or we'll just take two hours out to finish that thing up tomorrow morning. It's like, no. It is, and ask, why is it hard for me to not do that thing? Why is it hard for me to let go of production and work? And also ask, what draws you toward it? I'm just thinking, I mean, at first it's probably going to feel really difficult, but then also like, why do I really need this? <laughs> What's the invitation I'm feeling from God to stop and rest and delight. And you know, start identifying what to do and what not to do. And so we ask, does this feel like work? Something I have to do or should do or am supposed to do? So I just want to end with this statement. Is that we are people who accept God's invitation to rest in Him. Uh, to rest in Him being God and not us. We want to accept his invitation that you know, Sabbath, this isn't like a law that you have to do to be right with God. That's why I'm inv- calling it an invitation that Jesus invites us to rest in, in him. And it's an invitation from God uh, to not have more from you, but he wants more for you. And so I just want to give you that uh, invitation to try it for the summer and so that we can be a people who accept God's invitation to rest in him. Actually, next week, I'll be preaching Psalm 92, which is the only psalm labeled a Sabbath psalm. And so we're going to have two weeks of this. Let's pray. God, thank you that we don't have to be you, that we can trust you to be you. We don't need to be afraid that the world, the universe, is going to fall apart uh, without us, that your kingdom still goes on while we are sitting and relaxing and doing nothing. And God, we just want to more and more put our trust in you, not in ourselves and what we can do, what we can get done, um, that we have to be on all the time, on call, uh, doing things. Would you help us to become a people that know how to say no so that we can say yes to what you've made us for. In your son's name we pray. Amen.